Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to Episode 51, The Mystery of Marriage, Part 1. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the only show that asks the question, are you ready to take the red pill? Are you ready, Zena? I am always ready. She's back, the warrior <laughs> princess. We did have a, um, a week off when I went up to Dallas to interview Ryan Peterson. Yes, how was that? That episode was fantastic. <laughs> Meeting him was such a, such a privilege. And uh, I'll tell you, the new book, I can't, it, it, it needs to be out. <laughs> It's still not out yet, but I can't wait for it. And I know my audience and the listeners here are excited about it too. So yes, we've done the interview. It's been released. It's already episode number 48 or whichever one it was. But um, we're holding off on the video release until he gives me the okay because the book will be available that same week, mm -hmm. either pre-orders or whatever. It's so cool what he was doing. He's making study guides and interactive material and bonus content. It, he's, he's a genius. That's awesome. <laughs> it's really good. So anyway, but the last two episodes you and I talked about were Leviathan. Yes. So we learned a lot about a big old monstrous dragon. Mm -hmm. And yet in reality, though he may have been a real creature or possibly not, he was definitely a metaphor of Satan's political power. Yes. So we kind of discussed a lot about that. And interestingly enough, we wrapped up the second part of that series with the idea that his influence in the last time with his 10 kings and whatever minions he has working with him may involve more hybrid human beings like the giant's of Genesis chapter six, mm -hmm. the Nephilim, which is exactly what Ryan Peterson's book and new book is all about. Yes. The title of the new one is called The Final Nephilim, and he basically posits that same idea that Satan's coming back to do again what they did before. So that sort of provoked the idea of discussing the mystery of marriage. Why the mystery of marriage? Is there really a mystery? In marriage? Believe it or not, there's even a verse that calls marriage a mystery in the Bible. Really? Yes, I kid you not. And I think it was sort of timely with Ryan's interview and everything else because while it wasn't anticipated to tie in, it kind of does if we look at what marriage really is and what it was originally designed to do. I'm taking the whole discussion outside of the political realm because I don't care what people want to redefine marriage as, what political stand people want to take with it. It's not that I don't care about them. I just, I don't want, I don't care to get involved in that discussion. Yeah. Because for me, it's, it's insignificant compared to the spiritual truth, you mm -hmm. know. So I have no qualms with whatever legal 
contracts people want to make. I don't care what the state sanctions or doesn't sanction, because as far as I'm concerned, the state is subservient to the Lord anyway. Yeah. So no matter what rules a state may have about marriage and how they define it, none of that matters to me. I, you are free to do whatever you want to. I have no qualms with what people want to do. But I do want to protect the actual mystery of marriage as it's defined in the scripture. So we're going to start off in the book of Ephesians, which is... Paul's epistle to that church there, and you might recognize some of these passages if you've ever attended a wedding. Okay. If you've ever attended a wedding, Zena, sometimes, in fact, many times, passages from this chapter are cited in the vows or in the ceremony somewhere. You know, they also uh, frequently cite the chapter on love, about love is patient, love is kind, and on and on, and that's also very commonly used in wedding ceremonies. Would that be used in like a Jehovah Witness? Now, I've never attended a Jehovah's Witness wedding. Okay. I don't know how they differ. So you'd be a better one to answer that, right? (laughs) I have found that when I attend them, I tend to not pay attention until they're like, (laughs) I do. And then you get up and you get to leave because I feel like it just goes on and on and on. Now that I'm saying I'm not here for weddings, but some of them I'm just like, let's get get to the magic people, the after party. I've attended... um, Weddings where the bride and groom were Catholic, and they'll do an entire mass yes. in the ceremony, and that kind of loses me too. You yeah, know, I like, feel your pain. And then it's and then the hard part is that I'm not Catholic, so I don't know what I'm doing half right. the time, and then I feel like I'm offending people by doing everything. But when I'm do like, I stand? Uh, when do I sit down? Yeah, and they're like, get on your <laughs> knees and do this and do that, and I'm just like, oh, am I offending anyone by doing this? And so to me, that's a perfect example of how religion twists a truth into something that becomes sort of ritualistic or legalistic or whatever, you know, when it didn't need to be. So we're actually going to go back to the very beginning with the first marriage. Okay. And we're going to see the types in that. But we're going to start in Ephesians 5 because a a lot of listeners may uh, be familiar with this, but they're going to see something literally about the mystery. Okay. So it's Ephesians 5 verse 22, and Paul writes, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now right off the bat, sometimes a woman that might identify as a feminist or a strong feminist might take offense at that. But the word submit doesn't mean you get in there and cook my dinner. Yeah. You know, it's not an under-the-thumb kind of thing. When you, as your own personal relationship with God, acknowledge him as your father and you pray to him, do you feel oppressed by him? No, not at all. You should feel a, a hopefully a kinship, a relationship, mm-hmm. like a, a like a precious daughter yeah. or son, whoever. Well, that's the submission he's talking about here. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, if the guy's a jerk and he's beating you, get out. Yes. You know, we're not saying put yourself under subjection mm-hmm. and bondage to him. But he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there's a spiritual positional thing going on there. It has nothing to do with he has to be the breadwinner. He has to control the checkbook. You know, he may be the better cook, you know, and she may manage money far better than him, which most women do. Right. (laughs) Um, And he says, even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church, the church itself is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, when we take that from its true spiritual intent, there's nothing oppressive about it. Okay. Because it's meant to typify something. It's the wife, the woman herself, 
is a picture of the church that Jesus Christ died for. Okay. And the husband himself is a picture of Christ in the relationship of the church and Christ. So it's funny how sometimes as I've counseled as a pastor people, and uh, it's invariably the husband will say to me, my wife won't submit to me. And he'll read that passage we just read. Yeah. And then I'll say, well, wait a minute. God's not talking to you. There is he. And he says, what do you mean? I says, well, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Was he talking to you? And of course he has said, well, no. I said, well, what does he say to you? Read the next verse, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And I'll say, have you been loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, then why would she submit to you if you didn't? That's true. You know? So it's, a, it's not one-sided, you mm-hmm. see. The greater responsibility is actually on the man as the husband to be the representative of Christ. Okay. Even if she failed somehow, that doesn't give him an excuse to, to end it, mm-hmm. you know? So he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it completely self-sacrificing. I mean, what woman wouldn't love a husband like that, right? Yeah. Uh, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it it should be holy and without blemish. And we're going to come back and deal with those phrases in a moment, spot and wrinkle and blemish, Mm -hmm. because you get the idea of uh, like a garment stained or something. Yes. And in reality, it's it's close to that, but there has to. It's a tie back to sacrifices, back under the law when a, a goat or a lamb was given as a sacrifice for sin, it had to be perfectly one color, no spots, no blemishes, not speckled or striped or anything, and it can't have a broken leg or a maimed eye or anything like that. It had to be a perfect lamb, because it's a picture of Jesus. I was just about to ask that. <laughs> yep. The sinless lamb of God is typified in the sacrifice. Okay. okay. So when the husband is to love his wife so much that he can present her as a spotless lamb as Christ was, and he wants the church to be that way, then there's a deeper relationship going on than is on the surface of just two people in love. Okay. So he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Mm-hmm. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So when we love our own bodies, we're not talking about a weird kind of love. We're talking about you care for your body. You, you take care of it. You exercise. You try to eat right, get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. You clean it every day, whatever. You, know, you do what you need to do to keep it healthy and running like a good machine. Right? Yes. So that's the love. So any man loves his wife as his own body. It's like she should be an extension of you. Just as you want to take care of your body, you want to take care of her. He says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. So always the picture is back to the man, the husband, loving his wife as Christ, the head, loves the church. Then he says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Now, if somebody asked you that, how are you a member of Christ's body, of his flesh and bones? What would your answer be? Is it I'd physical? I'd probably just repeat exactly what they stated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to respond. I mean, I'm clearly physically not another person. Yes. Right? And, and even as we're going to read in a moment how to become one flesh uh, in the marriage, two individuals don't lose their identity and meld into a single person. 
right? Yeah. You're still two separate persons, mm -hmm. but you become one it, it, metaphorically in unison, but also through the child. Yes. Because it's a DNA of you and DNA of, of husband and they come together, right? Very true. So something about that is going on that's, it's genetic. It really is. So watch this. Verse 31, for this cause, these reasons that, that a man and a, a woman and a man join together, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So evidently something about the marriage between a man and a woman was always intended to be a picture of Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. But he said it's a great mystery. Well, that doesn't seem that mysterious if you're saying, yeah. here's a type, the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church. I kind of get that. Yeah. I realize you could go as deep as you want to go with that love, right? But is it that great of a mystery to comprehend? Mm -hmm. Unless it is more than meets the eye. That's so, true. So let's dig into that and see, because we're going to go all the way back to the beginning with the first marriage, okay? And that, of course, was in Genesis. Because that was Adam and Eve, right, please? Adam and Eve, you're right. Okay, Whew. I was like, is there some other couple that I don't know about? Oh, we haven't talked about them yet. There's more? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd pull your leg. <laughs> no, so Adam and Eve were the first male and female okay. humans that God created. And incidentally, did you know, so you've heard of angels. Yes. You've heard of cherubs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you know they cannot reproduce? So then how did the fallen angels reproduce? Well, they don't reproduce with each other. Oh, okay. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure that any angel created beings are, are female at all in gender. Okay. Because you know, we talk about angels, so we're not talking about human beings, male and female. But since all angels are called sons of God, the indication is they're male. That's not fair. Yeah. Well, um, believe me, what you and I will be in eternity mm -hmm. is like them, but we're not angels. We're a new creature. So you'll be in a glorified body that will be female forever. You know. That's so nice. I don't want. To, I don't really want to change into anything else. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> so, um, but so I say that because only human beings when God created them, were given the command and the, the, uh, the uh, I can't even think of the word I want, but to reproduce. Procreation was never available to angels. So, okay, I know this is such like a dumb question, but do angels even have like, you know, Gender? anatomy? Yeah. Um, well, evidently they do if the sons of God that rebelled took the daughters of men and took wives and had children by them. Now, couldn't Satan give them that anatomy? That's possible. It could be that they were, once they left their first estate, something changed yeah. about them. Then they still had angel DNA, but maybe they... Um, in the change, they went from being, we'll say, gender neutral okay. to gender male. Okay. If that is a term. Yeah. I can, so I don't know for sure. But the indication seems to be their sons. And then so then you would ask, well, what would be the point of a genitals if they yeah. wouldn't reproduce? So maybe yeah. they didn't actually have them 
and they, they didn't work in that function until they left their first estate. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, if it's just a bunch of guys, do they really need yeah. genitalia? Probably not. Right. And and male sons of God, angels, may not have genitalia as a male human being does. Okay. But they're still identified as sons. Okay. Right. So, so you get into the whole thing of like, you know, some, uh, well, I think the only animals that have both capabilities are like earthworms or something. Something I think, that so. I think they can produce within themselves or one of those things. But anyway. Not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I say that because in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So from the beginning, God made humanity designed to actually function in the form of procreation. Okay. So that they could bring forth a seed, could bring forth a child. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We've talked about that before. Fill mm-hmm. it up again. And subdue it. Bring it under authority. Because evidently it wasn't, right? Uh, or something happened. Yes. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So he created male and female with the admonition to procreate. And there was nothing wrong about that act. The, the act of sexual reproduction was never dirty or wrong or bad yeah. from the beginning because there was no sin. So you can't equate sexual procreation with sinfulness because it's not. It was designed to be the mechanism by which human beings would populate. Which you think is so... The fact of the matter is God wanted us to be you know, plentiful. Why... Are people trying to stop the population? You know, if why that's are what, people trying to stop it? I mean, obviously, the global elite, the yeah. devil, you so, know, it's satanic, yeah. right? In fact, not only stop population, but depopulate. You, the satanic global elite actually wants to reduce the number of inhabitants of this planet to 500 million from what, 7 billion or something? That's a big drop. Yeah, yeah. So that's their agenda. And by the way, it's interesting you bring that up because that ties into all of this. So think about it. He's God. Yeah. He could have made a mold and of one for male and one for female and just made a bunch of, you know, like cookie yeah. cutters. And he didn't do that. I mean, he could have made Adam lay eggs and have chicks hatch mm-hmm. as people. I mean, he could have done reproduction so many ways. Like a manufacturing plant if he wanted to. Yeah. He's God, right? What would be limited? But he chose reproduction in a way that not only is desirable, and I guess it would have had to be so that people would be have the incentive to want to reproduce. Very true. (laughs) So that means it was pleasurable and that was a good thing. Yeah. But it could be abused, obviously, and that happens, but that's another story. Sin came in and brought about abuse, Mm -hmm. okay? But it wasn't so from the beginning. So from the beginning, he chose sexual reproduction, male and female, to be a part of the mechanism by which God would generate to himself more sons and daughters. Yes. When he could have just made them, he could have snapped his fingers and populated the earth with 7 billion people. That's true. But he chose to go this way. So why do that? What was he thinking? Why, why use that mechanism when it's, you could say, somewhat cumbersome? Yeah. <laughs> Nine months, you got to wait for a baby to be born. I know. But then... <clears throat> They're all, we're all unique in our way. Mm -hmm. We're not all, 
It's we're not like KB homes. You don't that's just sit right. down and like. That's a good okay, analogy. Okay, you can't too. have this house because your neighbor has this house, but we'll put this color in and blah 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 blah. Like you, it's not like build a baby. Like you don't know <laughs> what's gonna. I mean, now you can do that, but back then build you couldn't. Baby. Like it's. Well, interesting. You say now you can do that because genetics, mm-hmm. test tube babies, all yeah. that stuff. You get it's a sperm donor, you can pick the. Pretty dad. soon, you don't need male and female. Nope. You know they could just put it in a test tube. So why is that happening? Okay, a genetic advancements, all of that, and and part of that ties into the abduction of people when aliens abduct them. They're dealing with they do genetic sexual experiments, yeah, on them, reproduction experiments. Since those are probably fallen angels, what are they after? What are they trying to do? Yeah. Okay. Remember the hybrids? We'll come back to that. Yes. <gasps> no. Yeah. You don't think they're gonna try to make like me be like a horsewoman? Yeah, chimeras, right? Like a minotaur or... Yeah. Right? Well, um, I think, here's the thing. God only gave humanity the ability to reproduce Mm -hmm. naturally. Yeah. He also only offered salvation to humanity. So what if a mark or a shot or something you can ingest changes you from being fully human, fully Xena into a hybrid human angel, you couldn't be redeemed. I don't think I'd take that shot. Yeah, but people will, see. That's what's coming, the mark of the beast. Ah, don't do it, guys. It's, <clears throat> it's not worth it. Right. You just stay being you and um, <laughs> don't change yourself. So after saying he made them male and female, we see the first wedding when Adam calls his wife Eve, and they join together. So in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. In other words, he hasn't made the female yet. It's that same day. It's that same day of the creation of man. Because mm-hmm. it said male and female created he them. So in that day that he made Adam, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Okay. I will make him and help meet for him. Meet, M-E-E-T, is like fitting or suitable. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Did you know Adam gave names to every living creature? No, I did not know that. He gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. Out of all those animals, nothing was suitable for God's purpose to be accomplished. Okay. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, the first operation, one of his ribs. Notice it wasn't from his ankle that he, she should be beneath him. Yeah. It wasn't from his skull that she should be above him. It was from his rib. So they would be joined together side by side, you know, equal. That's crazy. God was giving Adam the Itty-bitty waist. That's right. (laughs) So he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that's what the word woman means, out of man. Okay. Okay. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that's exactly what Paul was citing back in Ephesians. So he was citing one of the first passages of the Bible 
about being one flesh. So this, he said, was a great mystery. So what is the mystery here? It's just a man and a woman coming together, and they're going to, you know, go off to have babies and whatever. And that's been done a trillion times yeah. over the years. So what is so, what's the mystery about that? Well, what if the mystery is God set this up as the pattern for what he wants his kingdom to be, all because of the rebellion of Lucifer and the fallen angels, who can't procreate naturally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and God, in the beginning, he made man to take dominion of the earth that Satan used to have. He was king. Now Adam's king, and he's got a queen, and they're going to have princes and princesses, yeah. right? So let's start analyzing some of the words. So he said the word cleave, okay? Now we think of cleaving as like a cleaver and you cut you know, a bread loaf or something in half. But that word in Hebrew is debak, I think. That's how you pronounce it. It's translated to cleave, to follow hard, to overtake, to stick, keep fast together, abide, close, joined, pursued, and take. So like many Hebrew words, they have a lot of different meanings depending on the context. (laughs) Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. <laughs> but the general consensus is it's they stick together. It's okay. a joining together, so that's what cleave is. It's important that we know that because we're going to see that word later again in its use, and it's, it's in a bad way. Okay. Okay. So there's the word cleave, and we'll use an example that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew. So we go back to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Put away was the old English word for divorce. Okay. So is it, is it legal for a man to, put, to divorce his wife for any reason? Is what they're asking. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain, or two, twain, shall be one flesh. He said, Haven't you read that? I mean, he knew they had, because it's one of the first chapters of the Bible, the second chapter. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and he's saying, it's like, you've read this, but you don't really understand, do you? 
or no. you wouldn't be asking the question, right? So he says, wherefore, they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So what he's saying is if, if the original design was for something and divorce was added later, it shouldn't have even been a part of that, but it was added later because of how corrupt we got from sin. Okay. So he goes on to say, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? In other words, if it wasn't supposed to be that way, why did Moses allow it? Who did Moses allow to get a divorce? He just allowed the children of Israel under the law. Okay. God provided them a law through Moses to allow for divorce under certain circumstances. Okay. He said, why did they Moses command that to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So what does that exactly mean, the hardness of your hearts? <clears throat> they became so sinful and corrupt. I mean, why does a man generally divorce his wife? And there's many, many reasons. You know. Yeah. But generally speaking, and you could say from the beginning before we could bring in modern terms like irreconcilable differences mm -hmm. and things like that, a man decided he wanted another woman. Well, darn. It was wrong. Yeah. And so, and, and in reality, the only reason why a man was ever supposed to divorce a woman under the law was for the term fornication. And fornication wasn't just that she had a one-time affair. It was that she was involved in the worship of idols through a sexual practice, which idolatry would have had her put to death anyway. Okay. But so, anybody, anybody should so have been put to death. So ideally, if you were to get a divorce, it, it, would, you know, it would be because your partner cheated on you or is abusing you? Well, abuse, that's another whole thing. That opens up a whole other worm and that a whole other can of worms. And that gets us back to the hardness of your heart. Why do men abuse? Yeah. You know, why would anybody abuse anyone? Well, sin, you know, why would a man lust after another woman after committing himself to one in yeah. a covenant of marriage? Sin. Mm -hmm. Why would a woman do the same thing? True. Why would she cheat on a husband for, because of sin? So the hardness of the hearts is because you're stubborn and you're hard-hearted and you didn't want to obey God's original commandment to follow through with what he said. And he goes on to explain, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So he was kind of laying out the fact that, you know, it wasn't supposed to be this way because from the beginning they were to be one flesh because God had something in mind. And remember, like Paul said, it's a great mystery. Yeah. So we're trying to unravel this mystery. So we go back to Genesis 3, and of course we know the story. They were together. They were naked. They weren't ashamed. There was no sin. The serpent came, tempted the woman. She took of the tree, and what he said in verse 4 of Genesis 3, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die if you eat this fruit. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So the first temptation was, you're just human. You could be like us. Mm -hmm. We're angels. We're above you. You could have our knowledge, our technology, our experience, whatever, yeah. if you do this. So that's what tempted her to take the fruit. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So it's important to know that the man was there the whole time. He was made first. God makes a woman from him to be his help. And he doesn't even demonstrate the proper protective measure for her by saying to the serpent, get lost. Yeah. Get out of here. Go talk to the Lord about this. Leave my wife alone. Mm-hmm. And in fact, rather than that, he, he allowed her to have the conversation with him. She gets deceived. And then he turns around and eats too. So he's held responsible for it, but she was in the transgression. Okay. And that comes to play later on when we come back to visit certain things. Do you think he, the reason why he didn't stand up or say something was because he wanted to have her back in a sense? Like if she's going down, I'm going to go down with her because she's my wife. I think ultimately that might've been why he chose to eat himself. But in terms of why didn't he intervene before it even got that far? Mm -hmm. Why didn't he protect her when the serpent first showed up? You know, why didn't he say something right off the bat or heard the conversation because he was with her and, and interrupted and said, don't talk to her. You talk to me Yeah. or something, something protective, which is a pattern that's supposed to be because God has put on man the mantle of the responsibility as the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Adam failed to do that. He should have, but he didn't. Okay. So they sin. Their eyes were opened, Mm -hmm. and then if we skip down to verse 13, when God finds out about it, he confronts them, and he says to the woman, verse 13, what is this that thou hast done? What have you done, Eve? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Notice she blames him. (laughs) (laughs) And it was his fault, too, but but we always pass the buck, because first he went to Adam, what have you done? The woman that you gave me. She messed up. Passing the buck, right? And then he said to the woman, what have you done? The serpent. He begot me. And so he goes to the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, again, take out of your mind that it's just a snake, because first of all, snakes don't eat dust. Yeah. Right? And she wasn't talking to a snake. We know who that serpent was. We studied Leviathan. Yes. He was a, probably a beautiful creature that might have had seven heads and was red and everything else. It was a beautiful dragon. I'm having such a hard time seeing a beautiful yeah. seven-head dragon. <laughs> and, or it's possible that he just appeared as the fallen angel Lucifer mm-hmm. and was beautiful and glorious looking. But he's the serpent in how he operates. Okay. Okay. But either way, he says, and I will put enmity, verse 15, between the serpent and the woman. Now, you and I would be thinking, yeah, Eve, Adam's wife, Mm -hmm. the woman. He doesn't give her a name. As a matter of fact, she doesn't even have a name yet. She's not called Eve until the end of the chapter. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. What is a seed when it comes to relating to people? Uh, a baby. A baby, a child. You know, a man and a woman come together. There's an egg and seed that fertilizes it, and they produce a, an embryo mm-hmm. or a zygote and whatever. It becomes an embryo. <laughs> and then it becomes a baby. So the seed is the child. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, thy seed and her seed. Her seed, I get. She's going to have a human baby. Thy seed? The serpent has a seed? Yeah. Is the devil going to have a child? I hope not. 
Odin. He is. Can you imagine who the woman is going to be to give birth to Satan's child? Someone very demonic. Yeah. Uh, there was a movie back in the 60s or 70s called Rosemary's Baby that was all about that in a fictional way. So is the lady's name Rosemary? What is what? Is her name Rosemary? I think Rosemary was the woman that was chosen to be Satan's wife in the in the movie. It was played by Mia Farrow, which is an actress that was married to Woody Allen for a little while or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Um, but he said, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then he said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, we think of that as, is that the husband ruling over her and get in the kitchen and, you know, keep you chained and, and working? No. I don't think it is. And as a matter of fact, the woman, as it turns out, is not Eve at all. She's a type. She's a real person, but she's a picture of what's to come. Because the woman, as we've seen in the book of Revelation 12, is Israel, who is going to be remarried to the Lord. So marriage is a picture of God's relationship to Israel and his church. So therefore, the woman, uh, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. You think about a woman going into labor, it's painful. Yes. And it's awful, right? And sorrow, well, also we've learned in the Bible that throughout the scriptures, a woman with travail, labor to give birth is a picture of Israel in tribulation. So the woman here is Israel going through tribulation when the seed of the serpent is going to be involved. So evidently during the time of tribulation, angels are going to come back to do what they did before. And at least one of them, perhaps Satan, is going to have a child who will be the seed of the serpent that will be the Antichrist. He's not a human being. He's only part human. Oh, no. So we find out then, if we think back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Okay, we're talking about the Christ loved the church, not having spot or wrinkle. Well, when the sons of God did come down and take the daughters of men, uh, the children that were born of them were hybrid. They were, we'll say, spotted. They were marred. They were blemished. They weren't fully human. Their DNA was altered. Mm -hmm. because they were a mixture. Noah and his family were saved on the ark because they were the only pure human beings. It said that they were Noah was upright in his generations. So that means he didn't have angel DNA, fallen angel DNA. So God starts the earth again with those individuals. Now, giants show up later again, but we talked about that before. Yeah, about Canaan. the Canaanites. Yeah, the Canaanites. So... There's a picture in this that if the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent, then as far as the devil knows, smart as he is, he doesn't know what he's referring to because it's a great mystery. Mm -hmm. Marriage and the seed of the woman, two becoming one flesh, joining together to have a child. He doesn't know which child is going to be the one to destroy him, to bruise his head. It could be Abel. Abel is born. He's a righteous man. He offers the right sacrifices. But Cain, his brother doesn't offer the right sacrifices. Satan doesn't just go kill Abel himself. 
evidently he's confined to that dominion or that realm, if you will, of the, of, call it the supernatural world, whatever, but it's really right there. We just can't see it. But he just can't come kill me if he wanted to. Yeah. He's going to use men to do it. So evil humans are his proxies on the earth. And so he starts wars. He causes people to commit crimes, whatever. So he has Cain slay his brother, rises up, kills him dead. All right. Thinking Abel might be the seed that will bruise me, bruise my head. Soon and very soon thereafter, the earth begins to populate with enough people. Lucifer can't figure out which man is the seed that would bruise him. So he figures out, well, then I'll just infiltrate the bloodline so no human beings can remain. And that was the whole point of the sons of God coming down. So what did they do? It says they took wives. They didn't just grab a woman and rape her and have a giant baby. And obviously they were born normal size, but they grew to be giants, right? They had weddings. You don't have a wife without a marriage. Yeah. He's, they're emulating God. So they might have come down and appeared to be these beautiful things with advanced technology, but they honored the system God put in place for humanity so they could participate. And what did they do? They, they polluted marriage. They messed up what God ordained to be their thing. God didn't give angels the ability to procreate. So they had to come down and take women who had eggs because angels don't. So did they mess up marriage by having babies before being married? No, they messed up marriage by interbreeding with two different species. Okay. Angels, humans. And that was never supposed to be the case. It was supposed to be male, female, humans procreating, reproducing. Now you've got an angel. That's not a human being. They're made of different material. Mm -hmm. Something happened to allow them to be able to procreate, but angels can appear as men. So they must have some, you know, they're not like giants as angels themselves. Their children were giants, but angels might look just like men, maybe taller, I don't know, maybe blonde. (laughs) <laughs> they, they might look like Thor or something, you know? I want to meet those angels then. I'm <laughs> just kidding. And, and I would think, no joke, all joking aside, they may have been very attractive. Yeah. I would think they would have had to have been. They're sons of God. They're created beings. Yeah. You know, with, with so blemish is the word that we read in Ephesians 5. The, the church should be without spot or blemish. Now, we can just say no sin. And Christ died for sins, and that's true. So we're cleansed of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We'll be presented to him without spot or wrinkle or blemish. But since the, this is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church, let's dig deeper. With a few minutes we have left, let's look at the word blemish. Okay. The Greek word for that is emomos, and it means without rebuke, without blame, unblameable, without spot, faultless, or without fault. So you could say that's limited to just sin. But Peter uses that same word in another passage, and I'm going to let you guess who he's describing here. Okay, we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, actually, uh, I should back up because he's going to use the word here first, and then we're going to see what he describes later. Okay. So he says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed 
purchased with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And he's talking about the way the Jews turned the law into a system of works. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, a lamb itself can't sin. It's an animal. Mm -hmm. Doesn't know right from wrong. So the lamb without spot or blemish means a pure, well, let's say, we'll say a white lamb because that's what most people think of when they think of lambs. Sheep, they think of as, I mean, they're not snow white, but they're whitish colored. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so if you had a whitish sheep and you were going to pick, if you had a flock of sheep and they were all whitish and you were going to choose what you were going to bring for your sacrifice and one of them was spotted, that wouldn't be acceptable. One of them was too old. It's not really a lamb anymore. It's a full grown sheep can't use that one. There's a perfectly unspotted lamb, but it's got a broken leg. You can't use that one either. Yeah. It's got to be a perfect lamb because it's a picture of Christ. And he says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love, true, honest love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Now there's that word seed again. Yeah. Born again. We throw that word around a lot in Christianity, but 90% of Christians don't know what it means. Yeah. Born again literally means born again from the dead. So it refers to resurrection. Oh. We apply it in a spiritual sense, and I get that. I'm a born-again Christian, we could say. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I've had that conversion experience. But technically, I'm not yet born again until I die and put on my new body. Okay. Because it's going to be uncorruptible seed. It's going to be a, a body that's different than the one I have now, because the one I have now is not worth keeping. <laughs> <laughs> it's sinful. So he says, for all, um, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So Peter's basically saying, you are... um, redeemed by a spotless lamb without spot or blemish, we should live our lives purely because we too are born again of uncorruptible seed. And that should make us think of like Noah and his pure genetics. Mm -hmm. So Lord willing, we're going to do part two, and we're going to come back and visit this idea of is marriage trying to maintain not only the sanctity of the institution, between a man and a woman, but the genetic bloodline of humanity to not get corrupted by angel DNA. That's what a the great mystery. mystery, huh? Okay, that makes sense. I was like, what is what is the mystery of marriage? That you you learn someone's sleep pattern, they snore, <laughs> what they do and don't like. You do learn all that. Right? That's true. Like he doesn't take out the trash. <laughs> <laughs> or and things like that. I was like, is that the mystery? So you've got this spiritual thing where he says, I, uh, I'm talking about a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He wants to present her without spot or blemish or any such thing. She needs to be pure. She needs to be human. Okay. 
humanity that can be redeemed by the one who loved her, which is Jesus. Okay. And that's the picture of marriage that the, the state can't comprehend that. Mm-hmm. You know, a justice of the peace can marry somebody. That's, yeah. that, I don't care who they are. But that's not marriage in God's eyes. That's not what he's trying to communicate as the reason why he gave us this commandment to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So tune in next week. And actually, I should say that by the time you hear this, you may have to wait an extra week to hear part two because Zena and I are coming up on our one-year anniversary. Isn't that crazy? 52 episodes, and so we're going to do a special live uh, stream to Facebook. Be listening or looking for announcements about that, and we'll record that as a podcast episode as well. So that'll be episode number 52. Right, for, right on one year mark. We started back in February, uh, September 18th of 2020. That's so crazy. So we're coming up on one year. Yep. And then after that will be part two. So yes. please come back and join us. Thank you guys for listening and subscribe. Please share. Leave a comment down below something new that you learned. Like I did not know that there's a mystery to marriage. So keep, stay tuned for part two. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you guys next week. We will. And keep those emails coming. Some of these ideas are great ideas you guys are giving us. And we love it. And we thank you for it. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.